Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Mintert, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue, along with Nathan Thompson, Associate Professor of Ag Economics also here at Purdue. We're going to review the latest information from USDA's Planning Intentions Report, which came out last week, along with some updates on expected crop profitability and a little bit of an update with respect to what's going on uh, with respect to corn and soybean basis and, and maybe where that's headed going forward. So the market, as you know, as a listener, what uh, we got a big surprise last week. Um, corn planted acreage intentions from USDA, 89.5 million acres. That's down from 93.4 million acres. No big surprise that it was down, but the magnitude of the decline, I think, surprised virtually everybody. Um, in fact, if you look at pre-release expectations, um, I don't think there was any of the prominent analysts out there that were forecasting uh, a planted acreage that low. There was a couple people that were maybe expecting around 90 million acres. Uh, maybe what looks like one estimate was, was a little bit below 90. Uh, but the bulk of the estimates uh, prior to the report's release were for an expectation of corn planted acreage in the, I'd say, 91 to maybe 92.5 million acres. There were a couple outliers that thought it'd be significantly higher than that. But you know, if you looked at the kind of the mean or average estimate, right around that 91.5 to maybe 92 million acres. So when you look at it that way, we were 2.5 to maybe 3 million acres below a lot of people's expectations. That was the big surprise along with on a related basis what took place on soybeans. And Michael, you took a look at the planted acreage uh, on a state-by-state -state basis. And um, any big surprises on individual states? I think it's just consistent with it, with it being down 3.9 million acres. Uh, I, I think we were expecting it maybe to be down 2 million acres uh, in terms of corn. So let's look at where some of the biggest changes occurred, and we can come up with 2 million acres very, very quickly. Uh, in the I states, we're looking at about a million acres down uh, when you combine Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa. So there's a million acres. Another million acre is coming from Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, and actually, it's a little more than a million acres. And so you just take those five states, uh, and, you, and, you, and you add up all the de decreases uh, in corn acres, and you come up with 2 million, two million acres. Probably the biggest surprise to everyone uh, was the fact that South Dakota was actually up. It was one of the only major states where production was actually expected to be higher uh, than, than the previous year. Yeah, and that is a surprise for a variety of reasons. I think one of the reasons people thought it might be a, a little bit of a shift there was what was taking place with respect to dry weather, right? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and uh, South Dakota uh, actually was also up for soybeans. And so, and so there was some, there was actually some acreage, uh, acreage of minor crops that was taken out of, taken out of production or, or not, uh, not expected to be planted. And so, and so South Dakota is a very interesting story. So if you take the USDA's um, planted uh, intentions for corn at face value, and then use a trend line yield number, uh, which depending on how you estimate your trend, is going to be the 180 to maybe 181 bushels per acre. I think I was using just short of 181 when I did this projection. That gives us an estimated corn production in 2022 of about 14.8 billion bushels. That's down a little bit compared to 2021 when we were at 15.1 billion bushels. Um, it would be, I think, the third largest corn crop on record. Um, so when you look at it from that standpoint, it still looks like a pretty big number, Michael. But, uh, you know, when you start maybe thinking about usage levels, um, maybe not so much. In fact, if you, if you just kind of trace that through 
and use usage numbers that match for 2022 that match what USDA is currently projecting for the 2021 crop, which is just kind of a starting point. That would suggest the carryover does come down at the end of the 2022 marketing year to about 9% of usage. That compares to USDA's most recent projection um, on the March report of about 9.6% carryover. But having said that, I think most of us expect USDA to tighten the 2021 carryover number when they come out with their new numbers here later this week uh, on the updated WASDE report, um, in part because of the expectations that uh, corn ethanol usage is running ahead of last year and then uh, are ahead of the pace that they were projecting. And also because of this expectation that some of the exports of corn that uh, are apparently going to be lost from Ukraine will be shifting over to the U.S. That's a little bit of a wild card, but uh, certainly we're likely to pick up some of that. And then if you project that forward into the 2022 marketing year, that starts to tighten things up even more. And then, Michael, you know, you think about yield, right? We've never had a U.S. national yield estimate of 180 or 181. Uh, if we start tightening up those yield numbers, it gets tight in a hurry, doesn't it? Yes. In, in, in fact, it doesn't take much of a reduction in yield, and you're back to where we were in 11, 12, 11 and 12, for example. Uh, stocks to use was 7% uh, in, in 2012. I think you did some calculations, Jim. If if yield is 176 rather than 181, what, what, are, we, what are we down to, 6%? Yeah, we'd get down around 6%, and that's using the 2021 estimates of usage. So, you know, those numbers are all going to change as we go through the course of the growing season here. Uh, but the bottom line is it doesn't take much of a shortfall in production, either in the U.S. or in South America, for us to need to do some rationing with respect to usage. So um, it's, a, it's a tight situation, and we'll talk more about profitability here and your expectations going forward. Um, the flip side of the smaller than expected corn acreage was the larger than expected soybean acreage. So last year, soybean planted acreage was 87.2 million acres. USDA's projection on this uh, planting intentions report was 91 million acres. Uh, you know, again, if you come back and compare what that looks like relative to expectations before the report came out, of course, there was a range of expectations. Uh, on the low end, I think one of the surveyed analysts was all the way down to 86 million acres. The high end estimate was about 90 million acres. So we were a million acres above the highest estimate that was floating around as an industry expectation. If you look at kind of the mean estimate, I think mo the bulk of the estimates were an expectation of, of seeing planted acreage between 88 and 89 million acres. Um, and so we were at least a couple of million acres above expectations, maybe two and a half million acres uh, higher than people expected coming into the report. Um, you know, again, Michael, I think you took a look at the state-by-state state numbers. Any, any surprises at the individual state level? Yeah, there actually were some surprises. Well, first of all, Illinois and Indiana and Iowa, they were down, they were, they were, they were down a million acres in terms of corn, uh, and they were up a million acres in terms of soybeans. So that was no big surprise. You always got the shifting between corn and soybeans in the I states. But when you look at the increase in soybean production, it's a little bit different list uh, in terms of the states that were down in terms of corn. Uh, Minnesota uh, was certainly up uh, in 
in, in terms of uh, soybean production. So that's no big surprise. If they're down in corn, they're going to be uh, up up in soybeans. Uh, Tennessee was also up substantially. Uh, you know, 300,000 additional acres in Tennessee. That's a big bump uh, for Tennessee. That's a that's a close to a 20% increase in soybean acres uh, in Tennessee. Also, uh, Missouri is a big uh, soybean state. They were actually expected to be up 400,000 acres uh, in terms of soybean. So that was some of the big uh, changes uh, when you're looking at individual states. One of the states that's really, uh, really hard to figure out what's going on. It's this is always the case when we talk about prospective plantings, at least from my perspective, is North Dakota was down both in terms of expected corn acres and expected soybean acres. If you dig a little deeper in what's going on in North Dakota, uh, some of the what we consider minor crops here in Indiana, Durham wheat, barley, and sunflower, all of those up were up rather substantially in North Dakota. And so, and so North Dakota down in terms of both corn and soybeans and some of these other crops uh, are expected to increase in, in North Dakota. Michael, how much of that do you attribute to dry weather? It has to be a, a chunk of it uh, due, due to dry weather. But but having said that, uh, if you look at wheat prices, you look at sunflower prices and barley prices, they're strong. Uh, and so there's also some strong competition for acres, uh, you know, given strong prices in some of these other crops. So using the same kind of approach we took on corn, so you take USDA's planting intention number, use a trend yield estimate, which again, um, I think the trend yield I was using was just short of 51 bushels per acre. Um, that would suggest production this year of about 4.56 billion bushels. That compares to 4.44 last year. That would be record large soybean production by a significant margin. Um, and as you look at it in terms of what that implies with respect to carryover, maybe the surprise is that record large soybean production, it does loosen up the carryover situation. It does alleviate some of the tightness in stocks, but not maybe as much as you might think. Um, USDA's current projection for the 21 crop is for a carryover that's about 6.4% of usage. And again, I'm just using the 2021 usage numbers and projecting them forward into the 2022 crop. So those are going to change, obviously. But uh, that would suggest a carryover out of coming out of this 22 crop of only about 7.4%. So again, you know, looking at a pretty strong yield number, 51 bushels per acre approximately, um, still leaves us with a, and, and a very large soybean acreage, right? So that combination still leaves us with a soybean carryover estimate um, less than 8% potential. And, and, and it's quite likely uh, the stock's uses could be tighter than that because I don't think that we'll en end up with 91 million acres of soybeans. I think it'll be somewhere south of that. And, and again, you were talking some pretty good uh, pretty good U.S. yield uh, that, that we would need uh, to get that to get that 7.4% stock to use. I think we'll be lower than that. And, and so it just, it just tells us that uh, soybean stocks to use is going to remain tight. Yeah, really, truthfully, tied across the board here, corn and soybeans. I mean, I th and that's that's sort of been the message a little bit here all winter that we've been talking about, but it it uh, uh, this maybe exacerbates that a little bit with respect to the way these acreages came out on the on the report. You know, one of the things that was discussed by a lot of folks this winter was would the strong price situation encourage some people to pull some acres in? Um, when you look at USDA's principal crop acre estimate essentially unchanged compared to last year. So you were talking about some people being diverted into some other crops. Um, when you look at all the 17 major uh, principal crops that USDA reports on, um, essentially unchanged, 317 million acres, uh, both last year and, and this year projected. 
Uh, if you go back into history, uh, 2015, 16, 17, those principal crop acreages were a little bit larger. They were up in the 319 million acre range. Um, you know, if you look at corn, soybeans, and wheat, we've rebounded from the low levels we saw in 2019 and 2020. But again, you compare it to last year, no big change, right? Are you surprised by that, Michael? I don't know what I expected there, but uh, I'm a little surprised because we, we certainly have some of the strongest prices we've seen since 2012, 2013. If that doesn't bring in acres, I don't know what will. Yeah, you look at the individual state numbers, and, and we did pull in some acreage, uh, particularly here you look at the, the central part of the Corn Belt. Up here in Indiana, we did not. Uh, we were flat to maybe down a little bit. So um, I think the bottom line was we didn't, we didn't invent any acres this year in response to strong uh, commodity prices. Um, and in fact, if you look at history here, um, can these acreage numbers change? Well, yeah, they can. Although if you look at history, the years when it changed, at least in recent times, was predominantly those big weather years, 2019 and 2020. So. Uh, it remains to be seen how the weather's going to shake out, but at least based on initial expectations, uh, we weren't able to pull any additional acres in to, to alleviate. And those big weather years, the adjustment was downward. I think that's pretty important to note that. Uh, prevent plant was up in some of those years. And so, and so, you, and so you again, go back to the, the really tight uh, corn and soybean stocks. We're not, we're not assuming any, anything abnormal uh, in terms of prevented planted acres, or, you know, prevented planted acres or difficulty planting. Yeah, I've heard some people talk about the fact that you typically only see a change in acreage relative to planting intentions attributable to weather in, in the sense that people might pull back on, on a crop and, and then switch that way. We have seen, looking at the last 10 years, we have seen these acreage numbers bounce around. But the big changes, you're right, really were weather-induced. But there have been some other changes. Uh, and so sometimes people are responding to, to changes in profitability. So... That brings up a good point. You've been looking at profitability and how that shifted following the reports. The report came out last week. We've seen a couple of days now of significant price movement at the Chicago Board of Trade for corn and soybeans, and that's changed the profit picture a little bit, hasn't it? It definitely is a much different picture. We really haven't seen corn this advantageous in terms of profitability situation since 2013 in Indiana. Uh, and, and really, the, 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 the corn versus soybean picture changed uh, when the Ukraine conflict started, and all the report data is making it even more advantageous towards corn, uh, but in a barely, really large way. Uh, on, on, even on low productivity soil in Indiana, uh, using our budgets, corn looks like it's attractive, uh, and so and so the bottom line, the corn, the market really wants corn. It's really signaling uh, that we need more corn than 89.5 million acres. And if you look at Indiana uh, uh, specifically, uh, the, and the prospective plantings report, 5.1 million acres of corn and 5.9 million acres of soybeans. Well, the market's telling us that it doesn't need 5.9 million acres of soybeans. It needs some of those soybean acres to go to corn. Uh, and so we'll see what happens here as we get a little closer to planting. So you've taken a look at the budgets, and that's the, the breakouts you've got are pretty interesting, Michael. So if you start off with a soybean price, assume a soybean price of $14 a bushel. Um, on low productivity soils, if you could get here in Indiana, which is a corn yield of 150 and soybeans of 45, if you can lock in corn at 619, that would give you the same return as a $14 soybean and, price. And we're right? looking at corn prices of 650-660, and so it just tells you how advantageous corn is right now. Uh, and this, and like I said, this 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 hasn't been the, been like this for close to 10 years. 
Yeah, and, and carrying that forward, if you look at the high productivity soils, it's even more favorable for corn, right? That $14 soybean price, uh, if you could get 586 on the high productivity soils, which for reference is an estimated corn yield of 214 and soybeans is 66, um, you'd be looking at 586 on corn, and, and clearly you can lock those in. Nathan, you've taken a look a little, maybe a little more closely at some of those current prices and bids here in Indiana. Yeah, so just kind of starting out maybe with with the response that we've seen from the future side of things to the report last week. So we're, we're recording this on uh, April 4th, so we're about four days past um, the report coming out. But since then, you know, uh, futures markets have responded exactly the way we would have expected them to, to the kind of shock that we saw, you know, in, in an inverse uh, manner between, you know, corn acres being well below where we expected them to be, soybean acres being above. So just for some perspective, so if you look at um, nearby corn futures, so May 2022 corn futures, uh, this morning we're at about $7.39. That's up only about $0.10 cents over where prices were prior to the report. So not a big change there on nearby prices, at least, you know, over the last several days, but still up. Uh, the big change, though, is on those new crop corn prices. So looking at December 2022, uh, this morning we're at $6.97. That's up 40 to $0.50 cents, uh, compared to where we were prior to the report last week. So a big shift there uh, on those new crop corn prices. And again, exactly the direction that we would have expected to see based on the kind of shock that we got from the report. The soybean side, same story, but in an opposite direction, right? So again, looking at nearby soybean prices, uh, this morning we're at about $15.98 on those nearby May 22 soybean futures. That's down 70 cents uh, where those prices were prior to the report last week. So again, a big drop in both nearby prices, but then also uh, on those uh, new crop soybeans, prices are also down. So the November 22 contract this morning at $14.32. That's down nearly 40 cents uh, since uh, last week prior to the report. So again, opposite moves in the prices for corn and soybeans, but consistent with what we would have expected to see based on you know uh, lower corn acreage and um, higher soybean acreage. The question then becomes, you know, what about the basis side of things, right? So again, you know, we, we kind of have a, a grasp on what's going on on futures. You know, what, what's what's going on with basis? And I think the the best way to kind of talk about that is maybe to go back and give a little bit of a quick summary on where basis has been throughout the marketing year. So throughout this entire crop marketing year, going back to the, the fall of 21, basis for both corn and soybeans have really tracked pretty well along the historical averages that we uh, provide in the crop basis tool. So, you know, those two to three year average, depending on what crop you're looking at, we've really been, you know, above or below that by just a little bit for most of the crop marketing year. That really kind of got out of alignment uh, with the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. So we saw a big jump in basis um, right there, you know, last week of February, first week of March associated with the realignment of uh, grain flows because of the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, in particular, we saw corn basis just spike, especially uh, along river markets or export-related markets, trying to meet some of the, the export demand that uh, Ukraine was no longer able to fulfill given what was going on. Um, Soybeans also saw a spike in basis about that same time. It wasn't near as big, uh, but you know it did did kind of follow suit there. the The interesting kind of component to that, though, is within about a week, basis just collapsed, and it lost all of that jump uh, that we saw, and then some. And so basically, where we are today, 
Both corn and soybean basis are slightly below those historical averages compared to being kind of in line with them prior uh, to what we saw in, uh, with the first week of March uh, in, in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and so the question is, okay, well, well, where are we going from here, right? And that that is a really good question. And so, you know, looking back to some of the research that, that I did a couple years ago with a student, you know, one of the things that really came out of that was this idea of if we're going to forecast basis, the ability to do that really does change throughout the crop marketing year. And what we really saw was once you get to the late uh, spring, early summer months, so really in that May, June, July timeframe, uh, forecasting or, or, or building an expectation of what we think basis is going to be uh, and doing that accurately becomes very, very difficult. Uh, and so the volatility that we see that time of year uh, it can go in either direction, right? And so we could see basis really pop, you know, maybe we have some planning conditions or something, and we think there's going to be uh, some supp supply side issues. And so, you know, we get a pop in basis there in, in those summer months. But, you know, we could also have really great weather conditions and, and a really good crop. Uh, maybe we have something going on, on the demand side where we don't uh, think we're going to need as much. And so basis can also just fall out during those summer months, depending on what's going on. And so, I, you know, as I look forward this year, I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind because, you know, from a basis perspective, looking at kind of the next several months, if you've got old crop that you still have uh, in the bin that you're trying to think about what to do with, from the basis side of things, it's going to be really hard to predict what's going to happen. And I think that volatility is just going to be even more extreme in either direction, right? There could be really, really good basis opportunities this summer. I mean, you guys are talking a lot about what's going on with the stock situation being tight on both corn and soybeans. And, you know, whether it's domestic production that we see uh, a need uh, or we, we think there's, you know, not going to be as much, or whether it's some of these external, or not external, but, you know, international factors, the, the corn crop in Brazil, what's going on in Ukraine, you know, all these sorts of things could really have impacts on corn and soybean basis here in the United States. And again, it could be in either direction. So just know that if you're, you know, holding on to some old crop and you're thinking about, you know, um, hanging on and seeing, you know, what, what the ride's gonna look like this summer, it, it could be really, really profitable. It could be, you know, uh, one of those decisions that just uh, makes a lot of money, but it could be very, very uh, risky on the downside as well. And I think the corollary to that, Nathan, is that it just behooves you to pay close attention to what's going on with the basis, because it is going to be volatile, at least we think it will be. And when you see some opportunities to move corn or beans at favorable basis levels, probably jump on it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you mentioned this before we started here. I think something that this year has really shown with a lot of these shocks, you know, whether it's on the basis side or the future side, is being able to manage futures and basis separately has a lot of advantages. When you can take advantage of those pops in one or the other uh, and, and price those two things separately, you really have to be paying attention. Because again, like going back to the first week of March, there were opportunities to lock in basis that you know was just much, much higher than what we would see that time of year. And so if you were paying attention and you were able to grab those, that was great. So yeah, I think really staying on top of what's going on. And again, not just looking at, you know, the elevator that's five miles down the road, but looking around, because a lot of what we've seen this year has been um, a lot of difference in geography, right? So maybe if you're willing to to move some grain a little further distance, there might be opportunities to do that and, and take advantage of some uh, higher basis levels in another uh, kind of adjacent region for whatever reason. 
Yeah, we saw that in spades in, in early March uh, with respect to the river markets yeah. in particular, right? Because they were in a position to pick up some of the exports uh, d demand that was being switched from uh, an unknown destination, which was really, really intended to come out of the Black Sea, and all of a sudden those, those exports weren't going to be available. And so some of those switched very rapidly to the U.S. Tremendous demand on a short-run basis to fill barges, to move them down the Mississippi and get them to New Orleans. And yeah, it created some, some tremendous opportunities. So, Michael, you kind of alluded to this earlier. Uh, and let's just talk a little bit more about the profitability picture and what you think that might mean for acreage going forward. Yeah, I, I've looked at the difference in earnings per acre for a for a case farm uh, in in uh, in West Central Indiana, and and certainly uh, corn has went from being. Uh, less profitable uh, before the Ukraine uh, conflict uh, to being uh, more profitable by about $100 per acre. Uh, 21 was a very profitable uh, a year for corn, but coming into the year, uh, it looked like corn and soybeans were similar profitability. And so, and so this is one of the strongest signals uh, in terms of more corn acres I've seen uh, since they've been doing budgets here at Purdue uh, since 2012. And so this has been about 10 years, uh, 10 years, in the last 10 years, this is about the strongest signal I've seen this time of year, uh, you know, encouraging uh, more, more acres to go into corn. And so for clarity, when you do your profit projections, you have built in current input prices. So you've got current values in there for soybean or for fertilizer, herbicides, et cetera, right? Yeah, that's one of the things that's a little surprising to some people when you say that corn looks like it's $100 more profitable uh, than, than soybeans. You say, well, corn costs went up substantially. And so I've got built in here the fact that uh, that corn costs went up 25% uh, in, in 22 compared to 21 uh, and soybeans 15%. And so despite the fact that corn costs went up uh, substantially more uh, than soybean costs, uh, the price of corn for next fall looks, looks so strong uh, that we're expecting corn to be substantial substantially more profitable. And so it is a bit of a surprise uh, when you look at the cost, uh, the, the cost side, uh, but that's where we're at. So there is a wild card here, and we were talking about this before the broadcast started or before we started recording, and that is concerns about input availability. Um, and I think a lot of our listeners know we survey farmers every month as a part of the Ag Barometer Survey, and our most recent survey um, I think 19%, when we ask people what their biggest concern is for the upcoming year, 19% of the people in the survey chose input availability. Input availability. Now, if we didn't ask that question last year or the year before or the year before that, so we don't have a history here, unfortunately. But our best guess is if we asked that question last year, hardly anybody would have said input availability. So how much do you think that might hold people back? I, I, I'm inclined to think that that's going to be an inhibition to people switching uh, acreage from soybeans back to yeah, corn. Yeah, we have that 3.9 million acre drop in corn acres. A 1 million change would be big. And, and part of the reason I say that is because of the input availability issue. And just the price of fertilizer is going to, is going to, is going to keep somebody, some people from switching to corn. Yeah, I think, I think the real wild card this spring is going to be some people might want to switch to corn the inputs are available except for I didn't book the nitrogen. Yes. And maybe the potash and, and phosphate as well, but especially nitrogen seems to be the biggest concern. And that might slow some people down. So 
from a profitability standpoint, I think you and I and Nathan would expect to see some switching going on here. And I, I think we will see some acres come back out of soybeans into corn. But I do think this input availability is going to inhibit people and maybe give us less switching than we might have seen in a, in a prior year if we'd seen these kind of price responses. Yeah, I would agree. And like I said, I think a million acre switch would be a pretty large switch this year. All right. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. And uh, I want to thank my colleagues, Dr. Michael Langemeyer and Dr. Nathan Thompson, for joining us today. And, and uh, if you have an opportunity to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, we encourage you to do that. And we will have a more in-depth uh, webinar coming up here um, in about a week following the USDA's release of the updated World Ag Supply Demand Estimates. And those, that report comes out on April 8th. Uh, we'll have a webinar uh, available on and a podcast available uh, early the following week where we discuss those results in a little more detail and make some projections going forward from that. So with that, thanks for joining us. On behalf of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. Mm -hmm.